0: go to the word, we go to the Lord, seek his favor on his word. Let's pray for that. Heavenly Father, we do ask that for Jesus' sake, your word may be a blessing to us tonight. We would be encouraged in the truths of your word that we could see in time and in eternity the marvels of your electing love, that what you've planned in eternity you work out in time for your glory and for the benefit of those who are in Christ Jesus. We'd ask that we would appreciate that always, all the more, in and every way we show that forth in the lines that you've called us to live. May your word be read and ministered tonight in such a way to put the spotlight where it belongs in the glory of our God. May you accept our prayers for the sake of Jesus. Amen. We're going to be taking a look at Romans chapter 11 tonight, verses 1 through 10, and then also consider in our series on the Belgic Confession to put our attention on the eternal election of God, and looking at article 16 out of the Belgic Confession, which is on page 77 in the back of the Psalter hymnal, called as Pastors in the Federation, to preach confessionally, typically from the Heidelberg Catechism, but also not to neglect the other confessions as we proclaim the Word of God. And so uh, I think we've been through the catechism three times since I've been here, and now we're going through the Confessions, uh, the Belgian Confession for the second time, and we are about halfway, close to halfway through the Belgian Confession so far. So. Let's take a look at Romans 11 as we consider the eternal election of God in the first ten verses of Romans chapter 11. Here's what God's word says to us there. I ask then, has God rejected his people? By no means, for I myself am an Israelite, a descendant of Abraham, a member of the tribe of Benjamin. God has not rejected his people whom he foreknew. Do you not know what the scripture says of Elijah? How he appeals to God against Israel? Lord, they've killed your prophets. They've demolished your altars. And I alone, I alone am left. And they seek my life. But what is God's reply to him? I have kept for myself 7,000 men who have not bowed the knee to Baal. So, too, at the present time, there is a remnant chosen by grace. But if it's grace, if it's by grace, it is no longer on the basis of works. Otherwise, grace would no longer be grace. What, then? Israel failed to obtain what it was seeking. The elect obtained it, but the rest were hardened. As it is written, God gave them a spirit of stupor, eyes that would not see, and ears that would not hear, down to this very day. And David says, Let their table become a snare and a trap, a stumbling block, and a retribution for them. Let their eyes be darkened so that they cannot see and bend their backs forever. We're grateful for God's word. As we have had a chance to read it, glad that it was inspired by God, and penned by those to whom He called to do that very thing. We want to take a look in response to this portion of God's Word by looking at Article 16 in the Belgian Confession, page 77, if you want to follow along there, that article entitled Eternal Election. We believe that all the posterity of Adam, being thus fallen into perdition and ruin by the sin of our first parents, God then did manifest himself such as he is, that is to say, merciful and just, merciful since he delivers and preserves from this perdition all whom he in his eternal and unchangeable counsel of mere goodness has elected in Christ Jesus our Lord, without any respect to their works, just in leaving others in the fall and perdition wherein they have involved themselves. May God's word be a blessing to us tonight. Congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, I would imagine that the boys and girls that are here or the boys and girls that you know If they got told they were going to have to stay home alone tonight, or they would be left alone, uh, that would be a bit of an unshaking, a a kind of a shaking thing for them, a a shocking thing, an unsettling thing, maybe even truly a, a frightening thing. I've even had it myself, boys and girls, where I was always used to having a lot of people in the house used to have five children and Mrs. Vermeer and, and me and then it got to be less and less. as Time went on and sometimes it happens that for what for certain reasons that I'm there by myself at night and I had to get used to that a little bit. I heard things more than I used to hear them and I uh, It wasn't quite the same as it was when I would have, if I'd have Margaret with me or if I had the children with me, it just wasn't quite the same if I had to spend the night by myself and be all alone. Now sometimes we don't mind being alone. Uh, Sometimes it's better if we are left to ourselves to take care of something, we don't hear, hear any sounds or have any interruptions, sometimes we hear that about patients that are so bad off that it might be better off for them not to have too long of a visit with their loved ones or maybe not much at all until things are a little better, but there are those times when being alone or thinking we are alone in the world is not a pleasant thought. We can sense that we're at a disadvantage. We get a sense that we might even be defeated. And that's a, that can be an unsettling, frightening sort of thing. As Christian people, there can be that conclusion drawn, can't it? When the world around us doesn't appreciate where we might stand in the faith. Christians, believers in the God of grace, can perceive that when that happens, when the, especially if the powerful or the popular or the many, the masses don't click and don't sync with the way we think, we can have that sense in which we're—it's us against the world. There's this sense of loneliness. Masses love the famous regardless of their character. Christians can go through their life in relative obscurity. And worth yet thinking that it's like Elijah. That Elijah complex. We're alone in a world that is flooded with unbelief and sin. And yet passages like this one can teach us Uh, That if, as a Christian, we're worried about being alone in the world in, in whatever sense that might be from the perspective of the Word of God, that's never the case. It's never the case. Not when you've known the electing love of God in Jesus Christ, and we're going to talk more about why that is in these next few moments as we focus tonight on the fact that both God's mercy and his justice are displayed in the eternal election of God. So let's let's first of all focus uh, on the display of God's mercy in his electing love. It's, It's the tone we gain from our confession too, right? That in the electing, the eternal election of God, that God manifests his mercy and he manifests his justice. Well, the general tone of the passage before us is specifically that when it came to Old Testament Israel, her rejection by God was not a total one. Uh, the, the apostle speaks as he does at the very beginning of that, Right? He says has God rejected his people? He said look I'm I'm one of those people from Israel after all. By no means has he done that. I'm an Israelite. I'm a descendant physically of Abraham. I'm a member of the tribe of Benjamin. God has not rejected his people whom he foreknew. Now that wasn't only the concern of the of the the Roman Church of Christ in in there in that time, when he's writing to the Romans I'm speaking about. I'm not talking about the Roman Catholic Church. I'm talking about writing to the Romans here, the Roman Christians at that time. That wasn't just a concern for those people. Uh, That was a concern of Elijah long ago, as we are recalling, as does the apostle, those times in the days of Ahab and Jezebel, where Elijah ministered, and he was going through a time where he was flooded by, well, we talked about this this morning in our high school catechism class, syncretism, this blending of religions, Uh, but he was also simply flat out uh, submerged in unbelief and sin at that time to such an extent that And even uh, the times of Jeroboam, son of Nebat, were nothing compared to what was going on during the times of Ahab. And Elijah gets discouraged at a time that's remarkably uh, an interesting time because it was just after a great victory that had been shown at Mount Carmel. But it, it, it was a time where he still felt all alone. It still becomes a question that gets asked when Believing people today see apostasy, right, and unbelief occurring, and 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 sometimes we can run amok with that idea, right? That I mean, it's it's good to see where there is apostasy, where apostasy is found, but we can run amuck with the idea, with the thought that says, well, there isn't anybody left, that maybe a, a handful of people that are still true ministers or. Or are still true to the faith? We're the only ones left, All right? That that there's there's no there's no reason for encouragement in that regard because uh, we and, and part of that again is, is understandable because we do see that we see indifference, we see apostasy, we see unbelief, we see waywardness that occurs in churches. Uh, we, we see people letting the culture dictate what the creed should be, right? In, in ways that, and even in ways that we, we would have considered unfathomable years ago, right? When it comes to you know, questions of, of, of homosexuality or gender identity or, you know, we drink the Kool-Aid, so to speak, or people do, And uh, we don't like seeing that. We don't like seeing that among baptized members. We don't like seeing that amongst communicant members. We don't like seeing that in in our churches or other churches. And so then we start wondering, you know, are we the only ones left? And the Apostle Paul makes the argument in our passage that when the church, and especially it would seem that individuals in the church, think that from God's point of view that... uh, that all will be condemned, and, and there is no evidence of God's mercy at work in people, or from the point of view of man, that the saving work of God is disrupted or it's overcome by evil, or, so that evil has ultimately triumphed, and we have to live as losers. The Apostle Paul uses a passage like this to to remind us, as believing people, that we have to be reassured that that such a disruption, to that extent, such a triumph, never takes place. Because, as our passage says, God does not cast away his people whom he foreknew. It wasn't that none of ethnic Israel of the flesh would would ever know salvation in Jesus or believe in Jesus, there would always be such. There's a remnant according to the election by grace. And when Elijah thought that he was the last of God's people and about to be killed so that God's promises would be nullified, perished the thought, but that's what he thought. He needed again, as we always do, right? This is, this is part and parcel of why we come to worship. We come to worship because of God's grace, but we come to worship to, to have his word re- remind us of the world in which we live that belongs to him. God tells him God's promises are not going to be nullified. It isn't going to end with Elijah. It isn't going to end with the, the victory of evil and the defeat of Christ and his cause and the promises of God and really his eternal plans for the sake of Jesus Christ and in Jesus Christ God had promised to bring about complete and full salvation from the beginning when mankind fell and so he says there are yet 7,000 who have not bowed the knee to Baal. So like Elijah, God's people, in Rome as well, That's why this gets brought up in part, God's people get concerned about being left alone to the wolves. Left alone to the world. Is there nowhere I can go to, to find Christian fellowship? Is there nowhere I can go? To to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ is there nowhere that I can go to 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 recognize the communion of the saints? Yes, there is. We don't need to draw the conclusion that evil is going to swallow Christ's cause. Such is not so when we've come to know the eternal electing love of God in Christ, because the God who loves his people everlastingly and eternally in Christ, are people who are never left alone. (sighs) Those that God has called, he will never cast out those whom he foreknew. When we know Christ as our Savior and Lord by faith, we are assured by the scriptures, by the lessons of Scripture whether it's in the Old Testament or in the New, that we are never alone. This is part of what we, we celebrate after all, don't we, when we celebrate the coming of Jesus Christ because we believe that with us is God. Right? Emmanuel. God is with us. We celebrate that. We're assured by Scripture that we're never alone because God the Father is always our supreme Ally, by grace. And that Christ has promised himself to be with us always and that he has sent his spirit to abide with us always. But we're also never alone because it's simply impossible for God, who is foreknown as people from eternity, in love to cast away his own in time. And along with that comfort, we're to confess that this electing, this saving God in Christ has delivered others as well. Elijah, you're not the only one. You need to get some perspective. You need to get telescopic. Get rid of the magnifying glass and get off the telescope. Zoom out. Lest you doubt. In Elijah's time, God described that communion as the 7,000. You know, those he had graciously preserved and reserved. Part of his total and supremely chosen people like Elijah. So you're not alone. So, So when our faith is in Christ, we can say, that's right, I'm not alone not only because God has graciously known us from eternity and therefore we know his fellowship, but I'm not alone because God's electing love didn't start and it didn't stop with me and it won't. Because of election then, we're never without God. And we're grateful to say never without a communion of the saints and those are great comforts for those of you who are Christians and and those are great incentives to become a Christian right because we're never without God and never without the communion of the saints as Christians and Christians come to see by faith and by grace about how precious that is as one lives one's life out. In this world, we have to be thankful for the communion of the saints. We should seek it out as Christians and not leave it in a stiff-armed manner that we begrudgingly allow to creep into our lives, but only to the edge. Because not only will we find that sense of belonging in the family of faith, but we will we'll also be able to be used to testify to others that, that they're not alone in the fight of faith to which they've been called. Right? It's, it's always that two-way street. We benefit. That's one of the vast benefits divine one of the vast benefits divine that we in Christ possess, that we can. Be amongst each other and say, oh, okay, I'm not the only one who believes these things. I'm not the only one who, who has been touched by grace. But I'm also able to be helpful to other people by my very presence, right? Not because of who I am, necessarily, or you, but because of what God has made you and, and, and the way he's, he's used you and how he's using you. To be able to look to other people and tell them, you know what, you're not alone. I've been there. Uh, we're going through the same battle. We're still, we're going through the same fight of faith. Maybe your your fight of faith is showing itself and manifesting itself in certain ways, a little different than mine. But we're both going through the family, the fight of faith as a family. Of faith. All right. It, I mean. God's blessed us with family, but he's also blessed us with the family of faith. And we're, we're there to be able to testify to others that, that they're not alone in the fight of faith either. I mean, what if nobody ever sought that communion at all? all right. if, they, if all people would say is, well, it's me and my God, or it's me and my family, but nobody sought the communion of the saints. Nobody thought that that was a very important thing. What if nobody sought to associate with the church of Jesus Christ? You know, one of the things, again, just going back to, to, to matters before, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's starting to get, you know, the time's starting to get away from us. But one of the things, if we, there's one thing we should have learned from what happened in the COVID times, right? Is that it wasn't good to be away from each other in communion. Now, we should have known that already, but we should have learned that lesson, especially when COVID hit, and especially when the world tried to put its mark on what needs to be done in the midst of, of that, that whole uh, episode of history, we should have learned the lesson about the importance of Christian communion, and not to be apart from each other, but to figure out ways in which we can associate with one another in the church to Je- of Jesus Christ, because it's not, it's not to a prophet to be alone. What edifies us and what encourages us in our walk with God is both God's electing love for us, but also that we know that we're not alone in that electing love. Elijah needed to know that. The Romans needed to know that. We need to know that. That's something that you can count on and depend on because God doesn't cast away his people he fornew in Jesus Christ sad to say there are those, of course, who don't like the idea of God's electing love, and that's too bad. You know, it's too bad because people say, well, that's just too high and mighty for me, or that's just in the clouds, or that, that's, that's just feeding the giraffes, that's not feeding the sheep. You know, that's getting into things that are a little bit too hoity-toity. Or they just misunderstand what, what that's all about. It's too bad because people who come at God's election from the point of view that God should have saved everyone from the beginning, think that the sovereign and good God is somehow unfair. And, and therefore evil and unjust just in his approach to things regarding his electing love. But one thing that God's word will always teach us is that God is never unfair. Never is. If he is, then we, we should just stop trusting him because You can't trust somebody who isn't just. Our our confession simply reflects what Scripture teaches us that way. In stark contrast to to man's depravity stands God. All right? God's goodness in his mercy and his justice. God always does what's good and right. Always. That's because he's God. It's not the other way around, right? Goodness isn't defined by what we sit down and and think that God should do and say, that's what's good, God. Do this and you'll be good. We don't don't make the standard. It's God who defines what's good and he always does it. He always does. And so also with regard to his mercy and, and how he exercises it, Those who wonder why God doesn't save everyone may often wonder, never wonder why God saved anyone at all. Considering the sinfulness of mankind, given their sin, he had every reason to destroy all of mankind, and nobody could say a word against him. But he didn't, and he doesn't. He reserves for himself Those of his grace, of his electing grace, there are those who would would argue that, that God elects and foreknows on the basis of how God will respond to him, or how people will respond to him, I should say. But to argue that way is to argue that God's election is based on works. It's based on people and not on grace. And it fails to notice that that God's foreknowledge isn't just the ability for him to know what's going to happen in the future, but that it's a love. It's a knowing in the sense of his deep love that he has for his own from eternity. It isn't just for what he knows that's going to happen in the future, but of the love that uh, that he has for his own From eternity. He knows them that way. Eternally in love. Supposedly God is electing because he knows that there's something that's inherently good in the person that he's electing. That's the opposite way of looking at this. That's no longer grace. And grace is no longer grace. And there isn't any love in that knowledge. That's just acknowledgement. It's very clinical. It's very academic. Now God never casts out those he foreknew. Grace is not needed for the good. If God knows that somebody's going to be good, where's the grace in that? Who needs God then? Who needs to praise Him for grace and mercy and love? That wasn't needed. Because all God saw was something about a person that was good. Well, that He better save them. That's not even really salvation, is it? He's not really saved from anything. Certainly not from sin, he's chosen because of how good he is. But that has nothing to do with salvation. No, God's eternal election is based on, not on man's goodness, but on God's goodness. His good pleasure, his love from eternity, his mercy, and nothing less than that. And that's not good enough for some people. They want to know why. Well, we can't know why. There's mystery here. To know why is to know, it's to be God. And we're not. But there's also something marvelous here. And that marvel is something that we should come to appreciate as a believer in Jesus Christ, to appreciate that when you sought the Lord, that afterward you knew that he moved your soul to seek him seeking you. You need to appreciate Christ who says, you didn't choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you should go wherever you go, and bear fruit, and that your fruit should abide. His eternal election, so that what you do for him shall abide forever. That it matters what you do. Not because it saves you, but because of the electing mercy of God that saves. you. See, it's not so much that we found our Savior true, but that in his mercy we were found of him. It's those who are God's elect that obtain what they seek while the rest are blinded. God's love for his own from eternity is truly a marvel, and that's how we ought to look at it. As marvelous as as the shepherds would marvel at the heavenly house and the, and the goodness of Jesus Christ that was presented to them. That's what we should do when we think about the electing love of God in our lives. It should move us to marvel. Because it's a love like no other. You, you can't find that love and that mercy anywhere else on the planet or in the cosmos, in the universe. Because it's a love in Jesus Christ that way that has no beginning nor ending of days in a very real sense. When we come to know Christ, we come to know that God knew us already before the foundation of the world. Before we were born in time, he knew us eternally. And to try to wrap your mind around that is... You'll have all eternity to try to do so. But it's true. And he has his plans for us. And now that he has prepared for us beforehand that we should walk in them. And now we can say that the Lord doesn't just love us for a lifetime... But he loves us with an everlasting love in Jesus Christ, merciful beyond compare. And then we can ask ourselves again then, are we left alone? (laughs) No. That's the kind of God that sinful and, and limited human beings need. They need the unlimited and righteous mercy of God who foreknew us in eternity and displays that mercy for us in time through our Lord Jesus Christ, the Savior, and by the power of his Holy Spirit. It's why we can say we're never alone. We're never, al- never alone. Not only does his goodness get displayed, but a moment too here to talk about his justice in election. If there are those who are predestined for salvation, it follows that there are those who are protesting for destruction. There are those who respond to the gospel of grace because God has elected them to do so. There are those who do not respond to the gospel of grace because God has left them in their sin. And The apostle Paul and the Romans knew that there were plenty of people like that throughout the history of redemption and in their times. There was Cain, there was Esau, others throughout history who were exposed to God's covenant mercies countless others who had heard the gospel, uh, maybe within the covenant community, maybe outside of it, but nevertheless rejected the gospel of Jesus Christ. Plenty of people rejected the gospel of Jesus Christ, both within Israel and among the Gentiles, both in the church and outside of it. And plenty of people knew better, who, who should have known better, you'd say, and yet remained in their hardness, and in fact often became all the more hardened in their response to the gospel. And scripture describes this response here as hardening, being blinded, as those who have not obtained what they sought. Israel was seeking the coming of the Messiah, but when he actually came, he came to his own and his own received him not. And people are rejecting the gospel all the time. If that remains that way, such people will be condemned for they didn't respond in faith, but responded according to their sinful hearts. And here too, of course, God has looked upon as the bad guy. Why does God not just give to all these people the gift of grace? Isn't it his fault then after all? Is he not at fault for not saving them? And again, that isn't what the scriptures portray God to be. When it comes to the hardening of people, God places the fault of the sinful heart on the person who responds according to his sinful desires. And when these people become all the more hardened to God's gospel, this is but God handing them over to their own wicked desires. And when he gives them a spirit of stupor, eyes that should not see, ears that should not hear, these are but what their sinful hearts deserve. God is not giving the gift of condemnation. God is giving what they deserve. And God is handing them over to their sinful desires. This is what those left to their sin want, and this is therefore what they get. This is what they receive. God has no obligation to be merciful to everyone. And when he leaves others in their fall, and their perdition, he has every right to do it. God is just. If he were not just, we couldn't trust him. Condemnation is not God's fault for his lack of mercy, but but man's for his lack of righteousness. It's easier, of course, by far, to know those who are elect than those who are not because can see their fruit, but people can be hardened for years to the gospel. But but God's grace and and mercy is so powerful, it can do exceedingly more than all that we can ask or imagine. And that's why there continues to be a mission, right, of the church to call people to faith and repentance, both the wayward in the church, but those who haven't come to faith outside of the church. So we keep praying for people to change their lives and turn to Christ because even the apostle himself knew that God had saved him from among the Jews even though he described himself as the chief of sinners. We want after all to see people praise God for his saving grace rather than having to spend an eternity in eternal punishment with nothing but their own hardened hearts to blame. We take no joy In such hardness, and even the scriptures tell us, nor does God. Because you see, when we consider election, we need to remember that election doesn't give us reason to blame God for anything. What it does, it just gives us another reason to praise Him for everything His mercy, which brings people to faith, and His justice. To those who remain in their sin by their own accord and will. Now those are marvelous truths. But as believers, when we're believers in Christ, we recognize we don't have an inept God, an unjust God, a God who's just like we are. No, in Jesus Christ, and as we ponder the election, the eternal election of God, we come to know Marvelous God. And we're to live with that marvel in mind. Amen. Let's let's respond in prayer. <laughs> Heavenly Father, it's good to be able to ponder a few moments on a on a subject that can be very heavy, but it's a subject that's meant to cause us to marvel and to see how your mercy and justice are at work in your eternal plans that are made clear in time in Jesus Christ and in the spreading of your gospel. We're glad, Father, that you don't leave us alone when we're in Christ, that you have a people for yourself. We don't have to be acting like we're the Lone Ranger. We don't have to act like we're the only ones. That are believers. We don't have to act as if your mercies are somehow impotent and unable to overcome the evils of the world. You're always accomplishing what you set out to do as your gospel goes forth. And we thank you, Lord, that you secure us that way. And it's a marvelous thing to behold about how you have called your people from eternity. And as, as people that are tempted to think that we're left to ourselves, May we be reminded, as Elijah was once upon a time, that your promises are going to be carried out. You're going to call your people to yourself. You have a plan of salvation that will be brought to fruition and has been and will be in Jesus Christ. And we're not the only Christians. We're not the only believers. We're not alone. We belong to you. and We belong to each other the family of faith. So thank you for that. Accept our prayers for the sake of Jesus.